Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is Gilded Age co-host Alex Koch. Thanks to Patreons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Zscore, Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, Greg Schneider, and Jason Zimmerman. Alex Koch, welcome back to Counterintelligence. How are you, man? Hey, thanks a lot for having me back. Hey, you know, man. hang it in, hang it in. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can do, right? We're uh, we're doing the best we can. I, I I think I've said that every week on this show, actually. Um, so Alex, uh, you for. yeah. All right, so I know you're a reporter at the Center for uh, Media and Democracy, but you're also the co-host of the uh, new podcast, Gilded Age, and uh, I really wanted to get that in up front. You want to you tell us about the new show you're doing? I appreciate you doing the plug, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Walker Bragman and Mark Colangelo and I started Gilded Age uh, around two months ago, a little over, um, and we wanted to have a podcast that dissects the various problems with society basically how and why we're fucked. Um, and so our episodes have, have you know, looked into money and politics, problems with the, with the mainstream and corporate media, um, a lot of climate change and environmental stuff. Um, so, you know, we're kind of going through many different elements of, of the world and of the country that are, that are kind of screwed up and, and, and kind of talking about why they're screwed up and, and maybe how we can get out of it. Um, so we're, we're Gilded Age. Uh, we're at, Twitter is at Gilded Age Pod, and our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash Gilded Age. Hey, man, you always, I've learned this firsthand. You, you got to get that plug in up front because you never know. People might, you know, pull their car in the garage, and that's the, that's the end of the show for them. <laughs> so get it. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. And how's the yeah. show been going? I mean, how, I, I know you've been on a lot of podcasts, but is this the first one you've been like, you know, uh, it's your show? It is, yeah. I mean, and it's different being on the other side of the conversation, right? Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's kind of a steep learning curve at first. So you get you get a lot better at it over just a few recordings, you know, and then you kind of become more comfortable. And um, I really enjoy it, man. I mean, it's a lot of work, and we're, we're barely making any money on Patreon. We could definitely use some more support, but uh, it's early. I think I'm confident we're going to get that monthly amount way up. But for now, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's pretty much uncompensated, but we're doing it because we want to do it. We really like doing it. And we have all this free time with, with COVID and stuff. So um, <laughs> I think it's a pretty good, good use of all the extra time. Yeah. I'd love to see the number on how many podcasts have been started since the beginning of COVID. It must be crazy, right? It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. <laughs> so it's hard to get people to say, okay, I'm going to like, listen to this one hour episode of this random podcast and I'm going to give them five bucks a month um, or even two bucks a month is one of our tiers. Uh, you know, so it, it is tough, but I, you know, you just got to do it, see what happens. And if it goes well, you, um, you know, you keep doing it. If not, then I guess you sort of have free time for something else. Yeah. And I, and I'm not ashamed to say I went, I made sure that I reviewed what the Gilded Age was and just to make sure. And I was like, Oh, like, what glitters on the surface is pretty dark uh, below. I mean, do you think that applies to what's going on today? Uh, totally. And that, that's one of the premises of the podcast is that we're in another Gilded Age now. Uh, the income inequality, the wealth inequality, even worse, is is just remarkable now. And, and this is, you know, we haven't been this unequal since the 20s, you know, before the Great Depression. Um, that was part of the Gilded Age, the latter part of the Gilded Age, but still the sort of end result of all that, all the, all the robber barons and the steel magnates and the oil magnates um, and, you know, a decrease in workers' rights and fight, fighting unions and stuff. That happened then and it's happening now, too, basically. It's the same phenomenon. I mean, history does repeat itself, especially when you don't fix the underlying problems or you maybe you fix them temporarily, like when the New Deal and some, you know, kind of a more heavily regulated era 
post-war, and then you deregulate, and the same stuff happens. So that's that's where we're at. And uh, and we'll end on, on on that part of the podcast. But just everyone, make sure to listen to Gilded Age. They've had some great guests already. I mean, you guys have Ro Canna. You had you've had some pretty high-profile people, huh? Yeah, we had Ro Khanna was our first guest, actually. Um, we had Akela Lacey, a reporter from The Intercept. We had Maria Bustillas, the founder of Popula. Um, we had David Moore, the founder of Sludge, where I used to work, actually. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping to have a, an off. We had Josh Fox uh, last week, uh, the environmentalist and filmmaker. And then we're hoping to have a, an author of it, an author of several books on, on how, to, how to face climate change uh, coming up. That sounds great. All right, so your, uh, I guess, day job, as they would say, is you're a reporter at the Center for Media and Democracy, and I, and I asked you to come on today to talk about the new piece, uh, Hate Groups Raking PPP Loans as Racial Justice Movement Expands. So uh, that's quite a title. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? So the PPP program um, has gotten a lot of press recently. Um, it is called the Paycheck Protection Program, for those who don't know. Um, and it was created uh, in the CARES Act, which was, I believe, the first uh, COVID-related kind of assistance legislation that, that actually passed both houses of Congress and Trump signed. Um, and so the idea is for businesses, nonprofits, and also independent contractors to maintain their payrolls um, and thus, you know, uh, protect the paychecks of their workers while we uh, supposedly fought the virus, although we're seeing that we have really made it worse, if, if anything, in a lot of states. Um, so a lot of a lot of businesses and nonprofits qualified. And um, Steve Mnuchin of the Treasury, because this was a joint program between the U.S. Treasury and the Small Business Administration. Um, and so, so Mnuchin refused to give out the names of the recipients of these taxpayer funds. And so uh, it took a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, to get uh, to get the SBA and the Treasury to release the names. So what they did was they released the recipients' names for anyone who got 150000 or more in PPP loans. And these are totally forgivable loans. They're called loans um, only because they're contingent on you not firing anyone. If you keep your payroll intact and you can prove it, you don't have to pay the loans back. So it, it is essentially a grants, grant money. Um, and many, many, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of recipients uh, received loans, uh, but I identified six um, groups that are considered hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, so that was, that was the, and especially as the title uh, notes, you know, this is literally, they were receiving these loans in April and May, uh, just, you know, as the George Floyd protest uh, movement started, and, and we saw unprecedented um, activism, direct actions in the streets, um, you know, since since the uh, the civil rights era. So, um, you know, while while everyone was out in the streets with their masks, risking their lives because um, of racist policing and p- police murder, you know, these hate groups were actually getting taxpayer funds to continue spewing hate, which you know feeds into that whole system of racism. It's it's a fascinating piece, and also I so I, I've done some separate reporting on the the PPP program and. One thing I was really interested in in your piece is that also, the as everyone listening knows, and you know, the requirement for the program is that basically, if you didn't have the money, that these people would be out of work. And I'm so these these hate groups, which function essentially as think tanks. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what evidence? This is these are like office jobs. So I don't understand why would they? Why do they need the money? I mean, what stopped them from going to an office job and writing, like? Uh, 
you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, a lot of people got, got loans and I think it's perfectly fine for any, any, you know, eligible entity to apply for loans. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I think a lot of it's for stability's sake, not necessarily like I will have to cut these five or 10, 15 jobs. Uh, but it's like, I may, I mean, things are uncertain. Uh, and actually the pro so the program was pretty flexible in that way. Um, but I just don't think that we should be funding acres. I mean, there, there's a larger issue there with the, the fact that they're nonprofits and, and should they really be nonprofits? Should they not be taxpaying people if they're, if they're disseminating hate, which can lead to, to racist violence and murder? It really has. So, um, there, there's a larger issue at play, um, but I don't know. In terms of these groups, the the way they get money is is from you know donations. I mean, some of the bigger groups um, are are getting a lot of large anonymous donations because these donors don't want their names attached, so they go through these kind of middlemen, these these donor advised funds that mask their identities to the public. Um, but you know, I don't know if that that money would really be turned off because of COVID. I mean, if we're talking about wealthy donors, they're probably going to be fine. There is a chance that they'll say, "Okay, well, this quarterly grant of ours, like we have to wait on it because we we just you know the stock market's in flux and whatever else." I don't know personally for these groups. I don't care. But I mean, I don't want to pass judgment on the vast majority of, of of entities that did apply and get PPP loans. I think if the government actually is going to throw some stimulus money out there, like people should take advantage of it. I mean, that's what it's for. Fair enough. And the money, if the money's out there, there's a lot of people who do need it. That's true. And a lot, and look, a lot like, let's say something, a restaurant or something. I mean, those, those businesses were really hurt. And uh, yeah, definitely. You know. No, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anything that involves like in-person customer service uh, obviously is going to be hit super hard immediately. And a lot of these, like restaurants do not have high margins. Most of them barely make any money. So if you take away, even like they can lose a ton of money just on a weekend, like losing a weekend. So obviously those are the ones that are really, you know, the service jobs are the ones that are really in danger. Um, and, and I should say too, that a, a lot of, you know, the, the definition for small business is pretty lax. Like some of these are pretty large companies by many standards, but, but they're considered small businesses by the government. Um, and so, you know, yeah, a lot of these probably, a lot of these companies probably would, uh, or do deserve them, but a lot of, there has been a lot of exploitation as well. And, um, a lot of the money is, is going to, to very, very wealthy companies and wealth and essentially to wealthy executives indirectly. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a government program by a, a federal government that doesn't really believe in government. So, and, and historically, you know, has been continuing to shrink and shrink since, since the Nixon and the Reagan era. So, um, you know, we're not very well equipped to uh, do these giant national policies because we have sort of taken apart um, any, like we've taken apart the new deal, the, the, the green, you know, the new deal era from FDR, like ever since. And um, that's why we're failing even at this, but of course we're, we're massively failing at fighting uh, a deadly virus. And it's important just to highlight for the PPP program that it was really sort of obviously designed to be a secret. And they had to, like you said, they had to FOIA it. Like, I'm not, the program is is massive. I'm not aware of any other situation where public money, where a treasury secretary just straight up was like, no, you can't see where this money's going. I mean, have you ever heard of something like this in, in history? Uh, well, I mean, this this program is pretty rare, especially in our country, right? Like a, just a sort of emergency national program. I mean, the Trump administration is obviously horrific with disclosures to the media. Um, 
and you know, Obama was not great, uh, but the Trump administration is a whole new level of, of, of not only, of course, like the disdain for media, which is new, um, but just their transparency is awful. I mean, they just don't want the scrutiny. It's all, all Trump cares about is public image. And so if there's scrutiny over any program, because every program they screw up, mostly on purpose. Uh, I mean, he hired, he hired people for heads of cabinet departments who don't believe those departments should exist. So, I mean, <laughs> It's 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 a comedy of errors. If if it didn't, it would it would be hilarious if it didn't affect people's lives and like literal lives and livelihoods this much. Um, but you know, yeah. So I, I can't really answer that question, but I will say that the, the administration overall is notoriously bad about transparency and, and bad about their treatment of, of journalists and the media. How did you go about? I mean, you've reported not only extensively on following the money, but you've reported on these types of groups before. So when the data came out, I mean, what was step one for you in starting this story? Where did it come from? Well, first, uh, I went directly to uh, the link, the SBA link, and they had a, a massive data download. So it was a giant um, CSV file, which you can open up in Excel. Uh, so it was very slow going, but I would just search. Uh, what I actually did was I took out the nonprofits because that's only a, a subsection of the main group put that in a separate tab so we might so the search would take less time because searching like you know hundreds of thousands of records takes forever uh, especially on my laptop so I kind of whittled it down to the nonprofits because um, most of these groups are nonprofits even though a couple slip through the cracks because they're listed as corporations and uh, I only search nonprofits so there actually I think were seven or eight hate groups but I got the big ones um, and then I just I mean I, I'm familiar with the hate list that SPLC puts out every year so the 20, 2019 one, I've used that for other reports recently. So like, I kind of know which ones uh, to really look for and to search for. Um, you know, which, which groups are, are nonprofits that are probably going to be getting them, which groups are like definitely not going to be kind of getting this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, a lot of them are the, the anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim and anti-LGBTQ groups. Um, I'm not aware of any white nationalist group that got uh, stimulus money. Um, and those groups also tend to be less well-funded because they're considered more taboo. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a little less fashionable to to, to uh, hate um, to all non-white people than it is to hate um, Muslims or immigrants or um, gay and trans and gender non-binary people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that that's kind of a sad situation that we're in. But there are a lot of these um, major hate groups with very very well-funded hate groups um, that got lots of money in, in these PPP loans. Um, that are considered nonprofits. The American Family Association, which is a notorious um, anti-LGBTQ group out of Mississippi, got as much as two million in stimulus, and they claim that they were retaining 124 jobs with that two million. Um, so you know they have a big staff; they're very well funded already. And there were also a couple other ones that stuck out. I uh, I noticed the Center for Immigration Studies and the and one of my. I mean, I say this totally sarcastically, but one of my favorites, the Center for Security Policy. <laughs> yeah, Frank Gaffney's uh, anti-Muslim outfit. That, that's pretty bad. Um, Center for Immigration Studies uh, has gotten a lot more press because of its ties to Stephen Miller, Trump's senior advisor, who's writing all the super racist uh, immigration policies. He's collaborated with them. They gave him an award, I think, in 2015. So um, I could see him actually going to work for them if, if Trump loses and he has to uh, find another career um, because maybe the, maybe the right will kind of 
the Republicans who lost, and I think it's going to, it could be a major slaughter of Republicans in, in November um, in terms of the elections. And so I think some of them might be like, well, maybe we should stay, steer clear of like the really controversial racist. Like, yeah, like our party's kind of racist, but maybe we shouldn't say the quiet part loud anymore. So anyway, I'm, that's just, I do wonder what's going to happen to Stephen Miller. He could just go back to work for Jeff Sessions. Mm. Sessions may well be back in the Senate. And that's where Miller got his start in politics with Jeff Sessions. So, um, you know, they were, they were, um, they were going on Breitbart way before like Trump did and stuff like, but you know, they, they were, I mean, Jeff Sessions was kind of the original Trump. It's, it's pretty, pretty outrageous. But, um, so CIS, the center for immigration studies, um, I wanted to find some of the ridiculous claims. Yeah. So what they've been claiming for the last few months is that, you know, the spikes in Texas and California are because of undocumented immigrants. Of course, they don't use that term. They use different terms that I don't use. But undocumented immigrants were crossing the border. They call them border crossers. Um, and they were they were bringing in the virus, you know. So this is a classic. And this is a very Trumpian thing, like the, the Mexicans, the dirty Mexicans bringing over, you know, drugs and, and sickness and all this. Um, but, of course, those are very easily debunked. I mean, there's reports from the Post, the Times, et cetera, saying, no, these are actually the people who are coming over who are going becoming hospitalized are um are u.s citizens or dual citizens or green card holders legal residents in the u.s who are either cross the border for work or we're seeing family when the crisis hit uh, or we're down there for various reasons right so i mean this is what they do they fear monger and they lie uh in an overtly racist way and that's why they're a hate group it's so weird just to think about what it just on like a human level what, what it's like to be someone like that like whether it be frank gaffney or someone like to get up and it's got to be like really sick for your own, like, like your soul or your human, the way we yeah. live, you know? Like, I think about that a lot too, honestly, because I report a lot in the far right. And I'm like, the hatred that these people yeah, live with every second of every day uh, must be really like, yeah, it's bad for the soul, but it's, it's probably bad for your personal health. I mean, it's, it's, it can't be good. Um, of course, there are a lot of like, really evil people who will never die like Henry Kissinger. Um, so maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm like living with all that hate just has to kind of suck. Right. Like, and it's a choice and they're making that choice. I mean, it's the same thing with, with the, you know, like the rabidly anti-abortion crowd, like who are their, their life is obsessed with this. And like, I understand if you have a different, you, you believe that aborting a, a very minuscule fetus, if you, if you consider that murder, like, okay, that's fine. But like, you know, don't just make that your life's work to oppose women's um, health care decisions. Uh, and I don't know. I just watched the Miss America series um, about Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, the, her and her eagles were fighting the Equal Rights Amendment uh, being enshrined in the Constitution. Um, so I'm, that's kind of where my head has been lately. No, she was one of the originals. I mean, she. I think she passed away recently, if I recall. Yeah, 2016. Um, yeah. It's just really something to think about. I mean... I, it's it's not healthy to be like that. It's really hard to imagine. I and you, and and I was gonna say too. It's when your life is fueled by hate. It's never gonna it's never gonna be enough. That's even even if they accomplish their so called goals, which they never will. It would never be enough. Which is I guess part of what makes them so dangerous is that they keep pushing the the limit there. Um, well, I, that's a good point too because it's you know the, I think that the bottom line is they they have something to fear and hate, and I guess. If they if they're able to eliminate that, then they'll have to move on to something else, and that that's kind of what Trump does, like with his politicking. I mean, it's like 
it, you know, it was it was it was the Mexican rapists, you know, in 2015 when he launched his campaign. Um, and now it's, I mean, obviously the racism and stuff is still there, very much still there, and the anti in the Islamophobia and the anti-Semitism is still there. But it seems to be um, turned now. It's it's very overtly like anti-black racism and, and and you know the whole but really the whole republican party i mean they don't really have anything else because their policies are horrible so so they're just leaning into this like it's like the anarchists and the, the communists and all the black people who want basic human rights and civil rights are are, are basically domestic terrorists and that's what we're going to run against because um, they have nothing to run for they've done nothing they've made things so much worse um in the last year or two years so that's all they have yeah. Meanwhile, as going back to your piece too, look at who got the loans. It's like it's, I, I went through the data too. It's not like you saw the Communist Party. It's it's these groups, these Trump affiliated groups, basically, who are getting the money. And there's, there's something hilarious about that in a messed up way. Well, it's actually what's even more hilarious. I, I put out a new piece today. It's also about the PPP loans, um, and it's about right wing groups. Uh, the, the main lead of the story is that. There are um, there were seven right wing groups that have explicitly lobbied or written letters or done social media ads um, against the prospect of the federal government bailing out the states and the cities because the states and the cities are facing massive massive inevitable budget cuts because they just haven't done all the tax revenue anymore. Um, you know, Ohio cut seven hundred and seventy five million from its its current annual budget uh, back in May, early May. Um, and that includes hundreds of millions of dollars of cuts to their Medicaid program and to their um, education system. I mean, these are essential things for the public good. Uh, and they're cutting them. And so these groups, many of which are funded by the libertarian Charles Koch and, and other, you know, right wing, like extremely right wing free market billionaires um, are, are claiming that, oh, well, you know, the states have been so irresponsible with their spending up to this point. So why should we reward them for their irresponsibility by giving them more money? And they would what they want to do, and they're just taking advantage of this moment to, to further shrink the size of governments. Um, and they are such cruel people that they they would rather they would rather these the, like literal like more people die of health issues and lack of care and lack of access to care. They would rather um, you know school programs be massively reduced uh, in funding and so of course that's going to enable like the the, uh, the religious schools and the private schools um, in, instead of just you know get these these governments getting a little help just right now during this once in a century pandemic uh, it, it's morally despicable and it's also hypocritical I mean it's just hilarious I mean literally Grover Norquist the head of Americans for tax reform and the Americans for Ta tax reform foundation he, he he opposes all new taxes he opposes basically any government spending, and he wants to shrink the government so it can fit into a bathtub. He says that, um, oh, actually, so he they were they received PPP funds for the Americans for Tax Reform Foundation, and then he defended it um, by saying that they supported the, the the bill, the CARES Act, that had the PPP in it. Um, the Ayn Rand Institute accepted PPP loans, and they literally said um, they're against you know all taxes and everything. But they accepted the money as partial restitution because they were uh, the government committed cr the crime of requiring them to pay taxes. Uh, but but they're a nonprofit, so it wasn't even them. It was the individuals had to pay taxes. So therefore, the group is going to take money, taxpayer money. It, it, it's it, it's just completely hypocritical. Like these people, it's just the flimsiness of their worldview is is like completely out there in the open. I've been we. I mean, a buddy of mine. We've been rolling all week. I mean, I was I was going to mention Grover Norquist. If you like, I, I, of yeah. course, you you said it first. That 
that's the all timer. And on that note, I, I just I, I really want to say like if anyone, whether it be you, me, or someone, if you're ever just have the opportunity, whether it's online or even better on TV, if you're on with Grover Norquist, I mean, the these people's whole thing is that the whole scam is that they they, they let these things fade into the, the shadows like it never happened. You you gotta bring this stuff up. Like his whole thing has been exposed now. You took a massive you took a government loan. Like you got to just keep bringing that up over and over again because they're, I mean, you know, you know how these people are. Uh, well, it's, I mean, a lot of this, this is, this is pertains to a lot of, I think, the whole conservative mind really in this country. And is that, you know, unless something is directly affecting me, like directly affecting me and my intimate family, then it doesn't matter. There's like, it is the extreme individualism that has made this country a shithole country, in my opinion. We are a shithole country. Look at look at us. We are the laughingstock of the world with this coronavirus crisis. And like, it is really pitifully sad um, how outsourcing our jobs to low wage countries, um, uh, you know, not having a universal, remotely universal healthcare system, much less a single payer system. Um, you know, these things have, 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 and then of course, electing a, a lunatic president um, have led us to this point where we have what 135,000 deaths, I think, around. Um, our daily um, cases are increasing by the day. We had more, we had double the number of new cases, I believe, yesterday than India did, which is a country of, I think, 1.2 billion or so. Uh, and that got, you know, kind of their infections had kind of got, the virus reached them lo- later than it did us, right? Mm. Um, and it, it's, and that, India is the second highest uh, daily increase the other day. So it, it's just remarkable um, how fucked up our, our country is. And yeah. really, so so my sorry, to, but my, my to get back to my point is that I think um, when when really shitty stuff does actually happen to the to the right wing brain, they say, okay, well, just for me and just for just this once, you know, and that's what happened with Grover Norquist. I don't know if he was actually at risk of having to fire people. I mean, again, they're funded by Charles Koch and everyone else. They could probably just dial up their you know their their sugar daddies for money, but they just took advantage of the program, whether or not they they needed it. And I, I got a good laugh too. I think it was Norquist. If not, it was it was one of the other conservative institutes. They they said, you know, why did you take the loan? It's like, and the person was like, well, this is an extraordinary circumstance. It's like, you really don't get it. Like, what do you think anybody who ever's down in their luck says? Like, <laughs> right. That's when you file for unemployment. That's when you go on Medicaid. I mean, like this when yes, that's there. That's exactly my point. It is it is ridiculous. Their whole ideology is predicated on the idea that only your personal experience matters. And even then, even then, of course, it doesn't make sense because a lot of, a lot of probably down and out folks applied and didn't get the loans, you know, or didn't get unemployment, didn't get this. Um, you need a universal system that's always there. Otherwise it won't really work properly. Yeah. And there was one more, I, I was going to do this story and then unfortunately someone got to it, but I think my favorite other than Norquist, I don't know if you saw this, but Prager university got some big loans. Oh, I, I did see that now that you see it. Yeah. I was so bummed when I saw another journalist got to it, but that's, if you're listening to this, yeah. it's, it's basically like this fake YouTube university with these hilarious videos. Alex, I don't know you have any thoughts on PragerU? I've tracked their funding before. I mean, they're, they, they vary. They really tiptoe the line between like far right and like white, white supremacist. Um, I mean, Dennis Prager has like a Facebook meme literally where he says like, Something like white nationalism doesn't exist. Um, and I mean, I've written a couple stories on them, but one of them was that 
there was this academic from the UK and he had, uh, it was a whole, you know, five minute, like, you know, professionally animated and, and narrated by him video that was literally all about black and brown people invading the coasts of, of the Western countries and, and changing the demographics. I mean, that is white nationalism. That is exactly the, that is like the central point of, of current and recent white nationalist groups is that, you know, the, the black and brown people are going to come and they're going to uh, mix, have mixed race babies and they're going to ruin your culture. That's really what it is. So, I mean, they, they're really, they're very, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty close to a hate group as far as I'm concerned, but they also spread like climate misinformation and all this awful stuff. So yeah, that's bad. But also in that, ve that vein, so the Daily Caller and the Daily Caller's foundation, which Charles Koch funds, by the way, both got large PPP loans. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, Daily Caller is, is about as right wing a, a sort of a, a media outlet as you get, uh, except for maybe Breitbart. Um, that, that has like major circulation, right? So um, it, it's just pretty hilarious. I mean, in, in 2016, I, I did the math. In 2016, the Charles Koch Foundation provided 84% of the Daily Caller News Foundation's uh, contribution revenue, 84%. Um, the idea that he couldn't just throw, throw them a few, a few, you know, $100,000 in a time of crisis is ridiculous. It really is. And that speaks to another issue of this program. Like we, we barely got the data that we wanted and it it really remains to be seen. I mean, you can you can expound on this if if you know, but I'm not aware of the process for if any of these loans will be audited or how the bank is going to confirm. Do we know about the forgiveness process? Any of that, Alex? Um, I I mean, honestly, like I think it's kind of just a, you just claim that you didn't fire anyone. And you show your you show your bank statements, maybe or something like that. That you're that you're. The, the money is going out, you know, at, at the same rate or relatively same rate as it was. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure it's fairly easy to scam. Um, I'm let, like, I, I think, that, again, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pro-stimulus, and I think mm. that, you know, historically, like, our country has been really, like, the Obama stimulus uh, was really, was, was watered down, and it was not, nothing to, you know, it was way under what it should have been. So I, I'm very pro-stimulus in, like, any system, whether it's, it's like, I mean, any kind of system can be exploited, right? That's just mm -hmm. how it happens. Um, you know, this one was thrown together really fast by people who didn't really want to be giving out money to people, but they just were kind of forced to, right? Um, so I'm sure it could be administered much better. It could have been planned much better. Um, you know, so I, I think, like, you know, what's, what's worthwhile to point out is, is hypocrisy, uh, hate groups, you know, groups that have no business getting taxpayer money at all and shouldn't even be nonprofits. Uh, and then, like major companies that are exploiting it, right? That don't need it, or that um, you know fudge the numbers to to qualify or something like that. There's going to be a lot of that, and I think there will be a lot of good reporting on it. But yeah, I don't exactly know how good the process is going to be up front. Yeah, and I'm you know I'm on the same page as you. When times are tough, that's that's why you're supposed to have a strong central government is to to help, and a lot of that help often comes in money. So we're on the completely on the same page. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not sure that. Trump and Mnuchin see money in the same way that that we do. Um. Well, and money is just for the winners. That's all. Just the winners. Um, but another thing I will say that it's going around a lot lately and, and is really important, probably more important than anything we've talked about so far, is that 5.4 million Americans lost their health insurance because it was tied to their jobs and they lost their jobs so far in COVID-19 crisis. All right. You know, the, the nominee, the Democratic nominee for president 
uh, the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. Uh, even just days ago, when he was uh, did a televised uh, discussion with A.D. Barkin, you know, the, the activist, A.D. Barkin, and he refused to say, uh, we should we should no longer tie health insurance to your employer. I mean, how many millions of people have to be kicked off for him to actually just admit it's a terrible, terrible system? I think the, yeah, and on that note, I think the way to win this thing big, and obviously there's going to be a lot of support anyway, but I say in terms of, of Vice President Biden, just just go all in, man. Like the people, people are going to be people are behind you. Like this, what you just said, Alex. Like people, if you bring, if you just take a, a little bit of a risk, and it's not even that much of a risk, and push real progressive policies, I see a landslide election. And what do you what do you think? I agree. If he would actually endorse, um, I mean, he 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 does nominally support a single payer option, mm. although he doesn't talk about it that much. Um, I think if you would just even just dude, like pick a couple, right? Like they they had these task forces with the Bernie people, and and some of them came up with pretty decent like stuff. Um, I completely do not trust that Biden will adhere to those recommendations at all. Um, but at least just during the campaign, so you can win, it is going to be. I really do believe it is. It would be much more effective for him to win over the left, or at least some of the left, than it will be to to search out these moderate Republicans who who might want to vote for him because when you do that you water down your policies even more to the center and thus you're going to you're going to completely alienate the left um he does not he should not forget about the democratic party like the progressives in the party who actually care about some of this shit um and i mean clearly he's not going to pick warren for his his vp i think i think that would be the smartest decision although i do certainly sympathize with the idea that should be a, a woman of color um, it's about damn time, and especially now. However, I think you have to look at the candidates. Who's out there? Who are they considering? Um, you know, uh, I think Stacey Abrams would wouldn't be terrible, but um, you know, she first of all just lost her last election, um, but second of all, is kind of a moderate if you really look into it, um, and doesn't really appeal to the left that much. Um, and you have other people like Val Demings, and I guess now Karen Bass is under consideration. These are these are these are just regular run of the mill Democrats. Like they're not exciting. They don't really support. Um, you know, real, real progressive policies. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the smartest thing would be to get Elizabeth Warren because she does have a lot of excellent uh, policies, especially in terms of financial regulation, the wealth tax, all these things. But Biden does not want to do the wealth tax, um, to my knowledge. And I don't think that he would really accept her as an equal partner. Um, I think it would kind of just be exploitative. But if Warren wants to do that, I mean, she didn't endorse anyone until, uh, you know, until Bernie dropped out, then that, you know, that's her business. Um, I don't know how it would, you know, like if she would find it more frustrating than, than rewarding. Um, but anyway, I mean, I do think that um, it would it would definitely behoove Biden to listen to you know, that sort of wing of the party. Hey, as long as we win, I'm like, we are literally indoors right now as this pandemic has killed so many of our fellow Americans. I'm like, this is just a straight up winner, sports analogy, whatever you want. I don't care what it is. <laughs> just win. We have to win. Yeah, I mean, no, but look, and I, I don't, I, I don't personally endorse anyone because I'm a politics reporter. But I, I've made very clear on Twitter, maybe thousands of times, that Trump is a unique threat to this entire planet. Um, he's, it, he has to be, he has to leave. He has to, he cannot have a second term. We will be just completely and utterly fucked. Believe me, Gilded Age will have a lot more to talk about my podcast, but we will be so utterly fucked if we have another four years of Trump. I can't even begin to describe it. It is so important that he does not have another four years as president. It's a binary choice. That's all it is. 
Yeah, I like look. Noam Chomsky has said this. Um, um, like Angela Davis just just said she was going to vote for Biden. Like, I mean, this is this is like people like longtime freedom fighter like her. Uh, you know, public intellectual and you know anti-war guy like Chomsky. You know, these people get it. They've been around for a long time, and they've never seen a president like Trump. Um, so I think people on the left need to kind of just like get out of their little. Um, bubble and say, okay, man, like actually Trump really would be a net negative, like for, for another four years, a huge net negative. And like, it, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe in telling people who to vote for, but I'm saying, um, just think about it. Like really think about it for every type of person who lives in this country and on the planet. Think about what it would mean. Yeah. And if I, if I can close on this, it's for me, it's, it's really about, and I'm sure you feel the same way. It's the marginalized, the people who are hurt the most, people like you and I will probably do better. The vote, when, I feel like when I go into that voting booth and and I vote for Joe Biden, it's not really a vote for, I mean, it's not a vote for me. It's like a vote for other people and and for the country. And that's not, I don't know, that's, that's just what it is, I guess. Uh you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what being a civic-minded person is all about, and that's what the conservative brain doesn't understand. <laughs> and we just talked about this, but it literally, like, it's not just about you, man. It's not. It's about everybody. Yeah. And and Biden sucks. Like, I will be the first <laughs> to say Biden sucks. He should have supported Medicare for all. Uh, he should really go all in on the Green New Deal. He's he's got a much better po- environmental policy after the Sanders folks work with them. Um, but he still supports natural gas and all these things. That's just completely ridiculous, given where we are as, as a planet and climate change. Um, I, I think, and he's a liar. He's a pathological liar. Um, he proved that in the primary. I, I, I like. I think he sucks. I mean, he really does suck. Um, uh, but you know, unfortunately, the Democratic Party got together and they they, they got behind him, and immediately overnight, he basically had the nomination. Um, and it's him or Trump, and you know. God damn it, Trump sucks. He, <laughs> he won the nomination, and and here we are, and we're gonna we're gonna power through this thing. And next next time you and I talk, well, it'll be before the election, but uh, I hope after the election we we're talking about the progressive policies that President Biden is instituting. I'm I'm praying. Well, and look, you know, the, the the left will have plenty to fight if he's president. Plenty to fight, and they will. And like I would support that 100, percent right. Um, it's just you don't have to fight a white nationalist anymore who doesn't believe in science. I mean, th- there are major differences. Um, yeah. That's the most I've said publicly about this, but I, I, I have no regrets. I mean, I, I firmly, we have to get rid of Trump. I, I couldn't agree more. And I want everyone to listen to Gilded Age. Alex, uh, you want to tell us about the next episode? Do you have anything in the, in the can yet? Well, actually, this week's episode is a little up in the air, but I will say it's most likely going to be about uh, another episode on climate change. Um, and we usually do a bonus over the weekend with uh, cool guests. So um, we're actually, uh, yeah, well, it's only Tuesday, so we got a little time to figure out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. please, uh, please visit uh, patreon.com slash Gilded Age. And uh, you can find me personally at Alex Koch, A-L-E-X-K-O-T-C-H on Twitter. Alex, so great having you on, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at IntelPod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence.